are going to, we've been going through an Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to take a, a break for a couple of weeks from that. And we are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 16 through 20 <clears throat> this morning. As we prepare for our Revive Wisconsin week, I want you to be praying that that God would work. We, at our first service, we all received a little mustard seed, and we were challenged with this vision that Wausau may just be the mustard seed through which Revive spreads throughout the, the state of Wisconsin. And so, just a couple encouraging things. Last week, we, uh, Sean and I, from Time to Revive, ended up spending about an hour over at St. Anne's, Catholic Church, visiting with their priest and others about what Revive is about, and about, uh, it, was, it was very encouraging to see the, the Catholic Church senses that it needs revival. The Baptist Church needs revival. The Free Church needs revival. <clears throat> we all need to be revived in our hearts and to be re-impassioned with the gospel. Uh, on the way back to Eau Claire, they were joined up with 20, I think 23 pastors and leaders from Eau Claire that I've heard about. And uh, one of the gentlemen was involved here in Wausau in one of our meetings, and they have an interest in spreading it beyond uh, Wausau, perhaps to the Chippewa Valley area. So be praying about what God might do as he starts here with revival in, in central Wisconsin, hopefully it moves out. I've chosen a passage this morning that I'd, I'd like to read and make a few comments about it, and then I'd like to give you a historical metaphor for how to look at what the church is called to be. So that's what we're going to do together this morning, and then we'll conclude our time around the, the communion table. Here's what we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 16. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though, and listen to this, God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, use your word today. This is a powerful passage. And just speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just walk through this. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Yesterday was my 45th class reunion. 
I wasn't there. It was over in Minnesota. I, I was, had other commitments, but <clears throat> I was there 15 years ago. I helped organize our, I think it was about our 30th class reunion. And I thought it would be fun to kind of go back and remember the, how many of you remember the class prophecies they used to do when you were a senior? You remember that? I don't know if they still do that, but they always, you know, what will so-and-so be doing in 20 years? And then they also read through things that were in a, in a, you know, a day in the life of, you know, the high school, and they would, they would pick every, every senior and give one characteristic. So so-and-so could be found, you know, every Friday night organizing a party, you know, in the community or, you know, all, all these different things. So I thought it would be kind of fun to read that. And so I, I read that and, you know, there were some good laughs, but, but not everybody was laughing. And not everybody appreciated it. You know, some lessons you learn the hard way. So if you're organizing a class reunion 30 years out, <clears throat> you might want to skip the uh, going back and reminding everybody in the group of what they were like when they were 17 years old. A lot of people have moved on. A lot of people in my class have had transformations in their lives through the power of Christ. And that's not who they are anymore. And they don't want to be thought of in that way. They don't want to look back. They have moved on. That, that's old. That's gone. And the new has come. And you know, I, I think in a, in a way that's what this verse is, is saying. Uh, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do, no, we do so no longer. Who is Christ? Well, Christ was a man who came and, and did miracles, and then he, he died on a cross at the hands of, of man, and his life ended. Well, that's not how Paul says we view Christ. Christ was was fully man, but he was also fully God in the flesh, Emmanuel, with us. And, you know, he died, but he, he rose again. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the one through whom all of creation, we don't look at Christ from a worldly point of view. He is he's much more than that. And so we don't look at people that way. And you know what? If you're in Christ, you shouldn't look at yourself that way. The most important thing you hear today might be this, that if you, uh, if you are in Christ, if you placed your faith in Christ, you are, God looks at you totally different than before. And so maybe you and I should be looking at ourselves the same way God is looking at us. Verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. And the new has come. So we are, we are new creations. That means we're something new and different. You know, Christianity is not about realizing that you're living your life in a way that's not Christian and realizing that you need to be a Christian so you're going to, you know, change your life and start living the way you need to live. Christianity is about saying, I can't live uh, I can't live a sinless life. I, I can't live the way I know I need to. And so I'm going to invite God into my life. And what it says here is that, that God creates something new within you. It's not something you create. It's something that God creates. It's a, and now you have a, a new position. And you have a, a new perception. And you have new purpose and you have new practices in your life, and you have new power. Everything's new. 
The old is gone. And, and notice in verse 18, it says, and all this is from God. You don't create this, it's something. It's a gift that God gives you. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he does this creating by his spirit within us. He is the one who initiates it. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ initiated reconciliation with us. So the message of the gospel is not that, you know what? It's not that God's mad at you and and you need to change your life so, so you can be restored in relationship. The message of the gospel is, you know what? When you stood your hand in God's face when you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Christ initiated. Christ reached out to us. He has uh, stepped out and initiated this reconciliation with each one of us. By the way, this is what we're all searching for in our lives. Everybody in this community is searching to be reconciled with God. Not everybody's aware of that. Not everybody would, there are people that would say they don't want to have anything to do with that, but you know what? Underneath, that's what we're looking for. No soul, no heart will rest until they find that. And, and you can pursue any other thing in life. Pleasure, money, we're, we're learning that in Ecclesiastes. You can pursue it all like Solomon, and in the end, you go, this is meaningless. So, reconciliation. God came and offered us the biggest thing that we needed. Notice what it says in verse 19. He says, this is, this is the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us. He's committed to us this message of reconciliation. So what's the message that, we sh- that we're, su- we're supposed to be sharing? You know what? You're a sinner, but God has made a way not to be counting your sins against you. God's willing to put it all aside. God's willing to see you as perfectly right and righteous before him. That's what righteous means. That God's willing to look at you in that way. And that's a gift God's offering. That's that's the message that, that God has given to us. It's called the message of reconciliation. And people don't know this message. You'll find, if, if you start going out and talking with people, engaging in spiritual conversation, <clears throat> that, that, that's something people don't know. The average person on the street thinks, you know what, there's a God out there. Most people believe there's a God out there. And I need to do the best I can here. And I think if I do the best I can here, I, I think God's going to be gracious enough one day, at least I hope so, I think, God's going to, I think God's going to accept me. That, that's the predominant thinking. If you sit down with somebody and say, you know what, every sin in your life, God's offering a gift of not counting any of it against you, of forgiving it all, everything, of taking your sin upon himself, paying your penalty for sin. You talk to people about that, <clears throat> most people, if you engage in conversation, you, you get an opportunity to share that message of reconciliation, will say, I've never heard that before. Verse 20, it says, So, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God 
We're making his appeal through us. I just think that's an amazing verse that we are. So how do you look at yourself? You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone who represents someone and goes to a foreign country. So in essence, we are in a foreign country. We are representing God with this message of reconciliation. And it's as if when you talk to somebody, this isn't your message. This is an appeal that God is making through you. And so if I were to talk to you, I would say, you know what? This is something God has wanted me to tell you. That he is wanting to not count, he's desiring to not count your sins against you. And he's desiring to do that through Christ. And he's offering you through faith in Christ this gift of reconciliation and being reconciled to him. So our primary job, I mean, we do, we, you have jobs that you work at, you know, you have a life, but your primary job really is to be an ambassador for God in a foreign land. And then lastly, verse 21, he says, but God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might become completely right, that God might view us, even in spite of our sins, that, that he would view us as righteous before him. So let me share a little a metaphor here this morning about, in light of the fact that we're called to be ambassadors, that we're called to be messengers of reconciliation, uh, kind of what that looks like in our, in our world. I want to I share with you a, a metaphor here of the of something that happened in 1912, April uh, of 1912, and many of you know what that is. <clears throat> something happened with a ship called the Titanic. The Titanic was an amazing ship. I mean, imagine D.C. Everest football field. Imagine three of them lined up end to end. This is 1912 now. That was the length of the ship, almost 900 feet long. It was uh, nine decks, or 175 feet tall. That's a 17-story building. It was built over three years by 3,000 workers. And the cost is amazing. I mean, in our day, this is going to sound like nothing. $7.5 million was all that ship cost back in 1912. It weighed... Uh, 46,000 tons, had 162 furnaces, burning 650 tons of coal per day just to run that. It had heated pools, it had Turkish baths, it had gyms, it had smoking rooms, it had salons, it had photography dark rooms. It was a, it was a 1912 cruise ship. Not only was it the biggest, but it was a claim to be an unsinkable ship. Nothing could sink this ship. Nothing. In fact, they originally designed it with 64 lifeboats, but they thought 64 looked kind of gaudy. So they pulled off half of them. So they said, we'll put on 32. When it left on its trip, it had 20. Enough for about 1,100 of the 2,200 passengers that were to, to take off that night. The Titanic left on a Wednesday, picked up some people in France, then Ireland, and then headed to New York on its first Atlantic voyage. It was Sunday night about 11, just after 
It was a moonless night, no moon, but the stars were out. There was a guy out in the front deck and through the mist, and all of a sudden he saw it, this, this massive iceberg. And so he, he quickly reported down below, and, and they reversed the engines and, and tried to turn the ship as much as they could, and they, they avoided a head-on confrontation and kind of slid along the side of this iceberg. And lo and behold, when they had, had moved past, they, they looked around and everything looked fine. But little did they know, and it took a while, that below the waterline, there was a 300-foot gash in the side of that ship. A 300-foot gash taking in seven tons of water per second. Imagine that. And in an hour, it took in probably 25, they estimate about 25 tons of water in the first hour. The ship only weighs 46,000 tons, so if you can do the math, you know the ship's in trouble. They thought it was unsinkable because they had 16, they divide the ship up into 16 watertight compartments all the way down the ship. So even with a 300-foot gash, it still meant that two-thirds of the compartments would be safe. The front compartments where the gash was would fill up with water, but the others would be safe. What they didn't realize was that when the front third filled up with water, the ship went down and the walls in these compartments went up above the water line, but as the water came in, those walls went lower and lower and pretty soon the water started running over the tops of the walls into the other compartments all the way down. And by three hours after the collision with the iceberg, there were about 700 people that made it off that ship. There was so much chaos because no one expected this to happen. The first life draft went down and held 78 people. There were 29 people on board. They could have fit 1,200 on the lifeboats. They only fit in the chaos 700 people. And all of a sudden, it was just eerily silent, and all that, could, all that was left of that massive nautical miracle ship were 20 lifeboats with about 35 people in each. What many people don't know is that night, 350 miles south of Newfoundland, in the middle of the Atlantic, there were two other ships present. There was the SS California, who earlier in the evening radioed over to uh, the Titanic and said, hey, there's, there's ice, icebergs in the area. It's, it's a dangerous situation. The Titanic kept going 22 knots. Its maximum speed was 24. 22 knots right through it. It was invincible. They radioed again later in the evening, and this time their signal was so strong that it, it overpowered the other communication going on in the ship. And the Titanic radioed back to the SS California, shut up, shut up, we're busy. At about 11.20, the SS California shut off its wireless system and the captain went to bed. They had shut down their engines for the night because they weren't moving in the night with the danger of the ice that was around them. Ten minutes later, the Titanic struck the iceberg. They sent up, they sent up flares uh, after they discovered what had happened. They sent up flares. The crew on the SS California saw it. 
Uh, by the way, the SS California was inside of 20 miles away, about, a 40, minute, about 40 minutes away. They went down and, and awakened the captain, and no one knows what conversation went on. All they know is nothing ever happened. And mysteriously, the logs from that night on the SS California mysteriously disappeared. The captain was never charged formally, but at that point, his career in the days ahead were over. There was another ship about 50 miles away. The name of that ship was the Carpathia. By the way, had, had the uh, SS California responded to that call and headed for the Titanic, it would have been there within an hour and there probably would not have been one life that would have been lost on the Titanic. The Carpathia was about 50 miles away, and it was just interesting, the difference in their response. Uh, they also uh, heard the distress call. They had their wireless on. And what they did was they, as soon as they heard, they shut down all the heat. Uh, they normally could travel the maximum speed of 14 knots. They shut down all the heat, took all the energy, applied it to all the power they could get, and took off raising their speed to about 17 knots. And they headed through those dangerous waters in the middle of the night for the Titanic. When they arrived, somehow, miraculously, on the spot, there was no ship. All there were was the 20 lifeboats with about 700 people floating in the water. They had transformed their staterooms into hospital wards, brought the people on board that were suffering from hypothermia. And it is said that had the Carpathia not come that night, they would not have been a survivor of the Titanic, even those in the lifeboats would have died by the time they would have reached them. So what's the metaphor? Well, here's the metaphor this morning. There's three ships. I'd like to think of the Titanic a little bit like our country. Unsinkable, right? Things are going, we got problems, but you know, things are going pretty good. Stock market's great. And yet, I wonder if below the waterline there isn't a pretty significant gash. I'm wondering if there isn't a fair amount of water coming into the ship. People are somewhat oblivious to what's going on, and there's all kinds of different responses as there was that night on the Titanic. Even after the, even after the tragedy came, some were getting off in lifeboats as soon as they could. Some were, you know, saying, no, let all the children go and we'll stay here. Some dressed up in formal attire and, and danced to their death. The Titanic, uh, you know, uh, a ship in, in need of, of rescue. And then there's the SS California, a ship that was within reach of a lot of dying, desperate people and chose to do nothing, chose not to take the risk. And you know what? Maybe it was kind of like, you know what? These guys got what, they get what they deserve. That's what you get for running 22 knots through icy, uh, dangerous water. And, you know, you, you make your bed, you sleep in it. 
Maybe that was their attitude. Maybe when they kind of felt like the Titanic kind of flipped them off that night, maybe they kind of felt like, you know what? So be it. We're not going to risk ourselves. You know, it's easy to look sometimes at people and decisions they make and things they do and think, you know what? They made their decision. Now they have to live with it. It it can be easy just to become calloused. We see then there's also the Carpathia, a very different ship. This is the ship that was willing to, to adjust its whole purpose and its whole course to save these desperate people. Uh, They were the ship that was willing to risk going through the waters that night. In fact, it put them at great risk to themselves, but they were willing to make their way. They were willing to adjust. They were willing to set aside their agenda to respond to this need. And it's interesting. It's interesting that, you know, as they responded you know, that night to the need. The, the captain of, of the Carpathia said this. He said, he said, I don't know what happened that night. He said, it was like there was an invisible hand guiding us through those waters. I mean, imagine finding 20 life rafts in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean with no ship left, and, and they were guided right to where those lifeboats were. You know, if you're willing to go out, you're going to find, if we're willing to be the Carpathia, you're going to find different responses. Uh, We went out last Wednesday, and I went out with uh, another guy, and we went to a park up in Merrill and sat down with, there were three guys there, Uh, the guys on my right, we introduced ourselves, and they said, oh, hi, we're Jehovah Witnesses. So... Those are the guys on my right. The guy on the left, uh, as I asked them if they'd like to pray, if anything that we'd like to pray for them about, of course they said no. There was a, a guy about 65 years old with a scruggy beard and a, a can of beer, and he walked over. And I said, I asked the two guys, I said, would you like, he said, would you like me to pray for anything? And this other guy was walking by about 20 feet, and he goes, well, I'm not giving you anything. That was his comment, and he, he sat down. And we started talking. Uh, we were going through this little wristband and just sharing uh, what, the, what we were doing. And, and said, well, sin leads to death, and death leads to love, and love leads to life. And you kind of walk people through this. And I, I said, well, sin leads, uh, sin leads to death. And the guy at the table says, sin doesn't lead to death. Life leads to death. And I, I uh, wasn't quite sure what he was saying, so, so I went on and I, I was continuing on, and then I went back, and I was kind of reviewing with the guy next to me. I said, so sin leads to death. If you say sin leads to death one more time, I'm going to come over there and smack you. What do you think? And you know, normally I would have, I, I would have kind of taken that personally. <clears throat> but this was, a, this was a hurting guy, and I... I uh, you know, something earlier, the first thing he said when we talked about God, he asked the question, what kind of a God is it that would let babies die? Little babies die. 
I said, did you have a baby die? And he said, don't try and get me to talk about it. And so what was he saying? He was saying, don't tell me. Don't tell me that that baby died because of sin. Don't tell me that baby sinned and that's why it died. I don't want to hear that. And you know, sometimes when you, when you, when you see people that are hard and, and you see people that are reactive and even aggressive, you, you need to listen and maybe try and look underneath the water. And uh, who's going to be the guy that actually cares about this guy enough to sit down and, and maybe, maybe just open up about the hurt and the anger and the grief that he's probably never processed in 30 years? So you'll, you'll run into that. And, and then you also run into people whom God has just prepared. Caleb, a young man, uh, they went out. And uh, he's about a 26-year-old. One of the, he and another guy went out. And they went into the RV park and they came up to a 19-year-old kid. And they started sharing with him. And they said, is there anything we could pray for you about? Kid goes, he just stared at him. He said, this is really weird. And they started sharing the wristband. He said, he said this, is, this is like crazy. He said, what's crazy? He said, my aunt told me two weeks ago that two guys were going to come up to me and ask me how they could pray for me. And he said, here you guys are. He said, this has to be God. So you're going to find that. You're going to find people that God has just miraculously prepared. You're going to find fruit that is just ripe for picking. And God's just asking us to be faithful. God's just asking us to be that Carpathian ship. You know, the ship that's willing to set aside maybe its agenda and really make a priority of, of reaching lost people that are floating around and bobbing here out on the Atlantic. And you know, some are going to be hard and, and some are going to reject you and, and, and some are going to just be saying, we have been waiting. We have been waiting for someone to come. You know, just in conclusion... I was just praying about, you know, the, the bottom line, the application here. That, that's certainly what God has called us to. But, you know, I just want to say, and this is what I felt, just the Lord prompting me, I just want to encourage uh, this church by, because we've, we've made a lot of progress, and, and we've made a lot of growth to switching from that SS California to that Carpathian mindset when it comes to our community. We've been willing to give up people. We've been willing to plant churches for the sake of reaching more people. We've been willing to, you know, adjust our, uh, what we do around here to, to try and, and, and reach new people that may be searching. Uh, we have, we've had many of our people that are doing ministries out in the community, outside of these walls, because we know people aren't going to come here. And so... Uh, I just want to thank this congregation for being a congregation that is willing, uh, willing to understand that, that God has given us a message of, of reconciliation and that God is wanting to make that appeal to people that are just not going to show up here, a church that I think is willing to go out and do that. And, and I think as we do that, we are going to continue to just experience what the disciples experienced when they went out and they came back and they said, it just says, 
they, they were just over, overflowing with joy. Overflowing with joy. So thank you as a, as a congregation for uh, being a church that is, is willing to, to make those adjustments and, and to, to move and work and see that as a priority. Father, this morning I thank you for uh, this word to us and I thank you for reconciling us to you not based on what we could do, but based on what Jesus Christ did for us. I also pray, Lord, just for, for anyone here who might uh, be needing to be reconciled to you, to know that every sin they'd ever committed, from the smallest to the biggest, uh, has been paid for by you on that cross, and that you're offering us, if by faith we will believe if by faith will we, re- we will receive your spirit, that you, you are offering people this reconciliation. And Father, may we clearly, may we clearly and, and whenever given opportunity, uh, share that message with those that come our way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.